Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, a series of podcasts from Verant featuring chats and discussions with leading figures from the contact center, CX and customer engagement industry in the Asia Pacific region. During this series, we want to find out what customer service organizations are doing during these challenging times and try to discover what it is that drives the leaders in this space and what makes them tick. My name is Martin Riddle, and as well as being your host for this series, I'm also Verant's Vice President of Marketing for the region. This podcast has taken a break over the past month whilst your host underwent knee replacement surgery. But we're now back on air with some added titanium, and we've got some great guests lined up in the coming weeks. In a number of the previous episodes, the topic of artificial intelligence has been raised a number of times, with guests discussing how this technology is being used more and more in the customer engagement process. So I thought it would be interesting to hear from an expert in this area. And our guest today has spent the best part of two decades studying, researching, analyzing, advising, and commentating on AI, machine learning, process automation, and advanced analytics. So it could be fair to say that what he doesn't know about these areas isn't worth knowing. From Shwami and Associates, it's my pleasure to welcome to the Verant Podcast, their founder and director, Sri Anishwami. Sri, hello, sir. How are you, Martin? Ah, with a new knee, sir, I am ticking along. Um, uh, Shri, it appears as though the terms AI, ML and RPA are thrown around at ease these days as being a magic panacea to cure all business ills. Uh, as somebody who has studied these technologies in technique for 20 odd years, perhaps we could start with the basics and get your thoughts on what those terms mean in reality. Thank you. Thanks, Martin. Um, thanks for having me on your uh, podcast show. Look, the, the reality is many of these terms um, are being, in fact, you mentioned three terms, but uh, there are several terms that have been coined just in the last six months um, that we've had covered. So, you know, um, these terms are being manufactured by all kinds of uh, marketing people, particularly at working at startups, trying to push their startups to, you know, and hype it out and stand out and differentiate themselves uh, in this kind of a, a social media cluttered world. But stepping back, I mean, there the are really three fundamental threads um, of technologies and, and uh, uh, services that I'm seeing in, in the marketplace. The first is just pure automation. So what used to be called process automation, which then became robotic process automation, which then became RPA and, and whatever else, and over a period of time kind of suddenly became cognitive RPA or CRPA, which has now been replaced by intelligent process automation or IRPA. So that's one set of technologies, which is basically just, even at this stage, is just basic task automation. So the people call it process automation, people call it intelligent, this, that. At this point in time, it's limited to certain functions, certain type of tasks, and it's really task automation. The second level of technologies that we call is, again, people throw the, the term AI around it. It's really machine learning and deep learning. So it's basically sets of algorithms that look at patterns, observe patterns, and learn things very quickly, how to identify sense out of those patterns very quickly and a series of algorithms around that. The original used to be called machine learning and then over a period of time, even there a differentiation emerged where people wanted to use neural networks, different types and there are a host, thousands of types of neural networks that have come up now and they're all um, classified as deep learning. So that's the second bit. And the third 
bit of um, initiatives and, and strategies that people used to use. And again, which used to be done for a long time around data and analytics and now called advanced analytics. So these are the three fundamental streams of that have come together of late, particularly in respect of the customer service function, particularly in respect of the contact center industry, um, as well as any kind of customer transformation um, uh, strategies to try and provide new ways, uh, particularly with COVID, of coping and, and improving and driving efficiency and productivity in processes. So that is really what has happened in the last probably decade or so in this industry. So I mean, that's, that's, that's where we are today with all these, these three sorts of technologies converging and trying to produce results for end clients and customers. Now, even before COVID um, uh, came upon us, uh, you produced some damning reports over the years uh, that slammed the way the industry in general has used, uh, utilized these technologies. Uh, what do you think is it uh, that, you, that organizations are doing wrong? Look, I think there's two or three things. First, <laughs> most client organizations have got a f- caught up in the entire hype associated with these terms, particularly with RPA. RPA, you know, over the last seven years, has been this, I mean, and I've been quite public about it, as you're aware, Martin. I've said, I've called it the consulting con game of the millennium. It really, you know, all kinds of claims were made about RPA. They continue to be made. But by now, I think clients have got enlightened. What has gone with RPA is simply a product of hype, nothing more than that. It is a set of technologies, a new set of technologies that can be used for task automation as a stopgap band-aid measure. But it was kind of presented by a lot of um, consultants, particularly, but even startups uh, and, and um, RPA platform vendors. And there are about half. There were half a dozen of those. Now there are about three or four, which are credible. Um, they've all presented it as if it is a, a solution, something that can do end-to-end process automation or by, by itself, um, that it is something beyond task automation. All that has been wound back, uh, particularly by clients, because clients have gone through the whole uh, processes, done pilots, and realized the limitations of these. So that's the first thing. The second bigger aspect has been that even with AI and machine learning, uh, and even deep learning, there's this phenomenon that I call perpetual pilots. So typically what organizations have done is they say, okay, let's do a proof of concept or a proof of value, a POC or a POV in one of these areas. And, you know, let's take a small data set or a limited, uh, you know, application and see, do a POV. The idea going in used to be that if the POV is successful, if the POV meets the criteria, the success criteria, then it will be scaled up. Unfortunately, most of these POVs and POCs and pilots ended up being run in secluded parts of the organization, often called labs, some type of labs or the other. And AI labs, for example, is a generic term that's used, but there are other kinds of labs. And when these experiments um, started trying to be scaled, there was significant resistance from the business. Business really didn't want to change the ways. And so they kind of got left behind as experiments. So uh, really, and, and so the people working in those labs went on to doing more experiments. So effectively, you have a, a perennial experimentation phase, uh, AI being experimented in, in POCs and pilots, but never really scaling up. So that is the second problem. And in fact, my, my view these days, that is the bigger problem, that 
many of these projects, that many of these pilots, which are even ones that are successful, never really get scaled up. So, so organizations, in my view, particularly in the, the finance industry, but even in, in industries like telco, uh, will now have to make sure that the transition from labs of POCs into full-fledged scaled activities, full-fledged scaled embedded activities in the processes currently as they are, is done better, is done smoothly, and, and I think that will determine how successful many of these are going to be in, in driving productivity. So you mentioned their success and you mentioned their many, many, many pilots. There are, of course, uh, lots and lots of stories of organisations who have run pilots or even full-blown projects around automation as a potential cost-saving measure, uh, only to see their efforts result in expensive failures. Why do you think this keeps on happening? Look, I think part of it is unrealistic expectations. And part of it is that people simply don't seem to understand how difficult it is to translate pilots into full-fledged scaled implementations. So let me give you a simple example. I mean, one of the activities, and this is very common, it's happening across various industries here in Australia, particularly in the call center industry, the contact center industry, as you correctly pointed out, all the outsource, various outsourced service providers um, are struggling to deliver outsourced contact center services from places like Philippines and India, particularly Philippines, because of the rules around COVID and, and the fact that many many of the employees are not even able to get to the, uh, to the facilities. And many of these facilities are now pretty much shut. So a lot of organizations started you know, doing pilots uh, or trying to even scale up pilots uh, around optimization of call centers. So the whole idea was they would use chats, web chats, they would use, um, you know, phone chats, all kinds of chats, put in chatbots, try and, you know, get some sort of basic RPA in the background, and then have uh, the, the chatbots uh, present replies and then answer calls and then deliver customer service. Absolute failure. Because what the chatbots couldn't do is, and what the RPA tools couldn't do, therefore, is the chatbots couldn't understand the intent of the customer. So whether the customer is typing things or whether the customer is on the phone waiting for a call or talking, the chatbots couldn't really understand the actual intent behind what the customer was uh, wanted to achieve. And this kept being repeated over and over and over again. And so a lot of organizations now have just pretty much are just using the chatbots as just screening or triaging entities. So the minute customer says, no, 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 that's not what I asked, or this is not what I want. They try and put them onto a, a, a human chat queue, which wherever you, you know, it will take you an hour to get an answer, a couple of hours. Whenever they are free, they'll answer your, your chat. That's how it's become. Now, what we have done, uh, and we have we've done it with a couple of clients, is using the same chatbots, perhaps using the same RPA tools, we've laid or overlaid machine learning algorithms on top, over a significant, which we're three, six months down the line, we are able to now accurately identify and screen the intent of the caller. And therefore, we are then able to decide whether the chatbot should handle it or whether it should simply be transferred to a human agent straight away. Now, doing that, we are able to do two things. We've been able to show that. One, we've been able to improve NPS significantly because customers are getting better, faster, quicker response. And second, we are able to improve the productivity 
of even the current limited contact center services by up to a third. So that is the missing piece. The missing piece in that particular case was actually these algorithms that can quickly and effectively understand and calibrate the intent of the customer. Now, that was not that, that's not something you can do overnight. It needs you know significant months of work. It, you need to have 10,000, 15,000 con- chat records. And the initial phase is really manual because labeling customer intents is a manual process. So labeling, AI labeling is manual. It has to be done in a manual way. And then the algorithms are trained and compared, and then you can do that. So that is, to me, the, the part of the chain where significant effort is going to be focused going forward, which is actually around training, training the algorithms and overlaying them on top of existing, you know, whether it's RPA tools or existing contact center or even optimization tools to get them working better. So that's that's one case which I've given you. Several others that we can talk about, but unless organizations get this missing piece, this overlay piece correctly, and it takes effort, they are not going to be able to get good results even at the pilot stage. And even if they do, they're not going to be able to scale it up properly. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. And we could probably do an episode on uh, conversational AI all on its own. And of course, Verant, uh, as a vendor, we have our own conversational AI tool. And one of the things that we find is that a lot of the time, customers almost fail to recognize they have this huge repository of unstructured data that they've captured over years and years and years of contact center recordings that's really given them uh, so many insights that they can deploy uh, on some of the automation technologies. And once we start taking customers through that process, it's great to see that eyes open up and realize that as opposed to the automation technologies existing uh, as a separate uh, stream, uh, the two things work best when they are applied together. I'm wondering, do you think, is there, is there a simple process that organizations should follow to, to avoid uh, failures and to try and uh, get the best success that they can they can hope for? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the most, the most critical part of the uh, chain is actually taking the time to properly train the algorithms train them well enough so that they can be scaled. And for that, you need significant amounts of data, even with the, the all the various algorithms we're using now, trying to which, which reduce, try and reduce the amount of data needed to train. It is a matter of being patient. Two, people, particularly at the board level or even at management level, assume that the minute you have AI algorithms, it will all work by itself, that the training will be done automatically, the algorithms will learn by itself, that is absolute bunk. It is significant manual work needed, particularly when you're doing it, the organization is doing it for the first time, significant manual work needed, even getting the labels right. Okay, so for example, if you're talking about, again, going back to the simple call center example, if you're trying to label the customer's intents, for example, let's say in the case of a, an insurance company, whether the customer, customer really wants a copy of the policy, whether he wants the policy modified, whether he wants to check details of the policy, each of these have to be labeled properly in a manual way on sufficient number of records before the AI algorithm can even be trained to understand and be effective. And the effectiveness can even be measured because you're going to measure it against this training set. So we need to understand, particularly executives, who are sanctioning budgets need to understand that the training phase is probably the critical phase. It will take time. 
A lot of it is going to be manual, but they need to be patient because that's what will help them scale. So to me, that's the one thing, if there's one thing companies can do is understand the nature of the training phase and be patient. If you do that, your results will be successful. If you try and rush through the training phase, if you try and rush through it because, you know, you want a shiny new pilot, which you can demonstrate, you know, to the to analysts or show it in analyst shows, then you might succeed with one particular pilot or with a specific limited pilot, but when you scale it up, you'll have problems. That's, that is the one thing, Martin, that you need to do. So you've touched there on, on, on contact centers. Um, if we're looking at the, the wider customer engagement sector as a whole, do you think there are any particular environments where the use of automation technologies can be more effective uh, than others? Absolutely. I mean, you look at whether it is your basic uh, chat transcripts, whether it is chat, web chats, whether it is your call transcript, uh, call center transcripts, all of them represent huge repositories of unstructured data that organizations already have with them. Okay, so this is nothing, not something new they have to create. This is something they already have. What they need to do is go through this data, try and expunge all the PCI, the personal and confidential information. Once they've done it, then they can have a number of pilots running at the same time on this huge unused you know, bank of data, wealth of data, which they can run at these algorithms, train them, and then try and scale them up. One of the big developments we've seen during this COVID phase, um, outside of the AI industry, it's got very little attention, but within the AI industry, everyone has been so excited about, is this GPT-3, which has been developed by uh, OpenAI, which they have demonstrated. It's effectively an, a, a powerful NPL, uh, natural language tool, which can recognize, understand, understand the context of natural language uh, text far better far, far better than even the Microsoft Turing tool, which was uh, you know, released in February of, uh, of this year. So, I mean, this GPT tool was uh, released probably around June, July of, of uh, this year, so in the last couple of months. Uh, it's already got significant attention within the AI industry that I, I'm sure eventually people in the vendors in the contact center industry like yourselves, but even clients will start getting excited about it because that gives us a lot of options particularly in terms of very quick, and it's available as an API as well, so people can call it, run it on the wealth of unstructured uh, data they have once they have removed the, the PCI components, and that will revolutionize, will take this whole contact center, call center optimization to the next level. So to me, that is going to be the, the big, the next step that we are seeing in the industry. So given uh, those uh, strides that have been taken and the advances in technology uh, that are happening, uh, can you ever foresee a time when automation will entirely replace the human involvement in customer service? No, 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 no. Because, see, even with, I mean, my guess is even once GPT, the, the full uh, benefits of GPT, the full functionality is understood, deployed in call centers, et cetera, what it will do is it will help the triaging of customer service calls or customer service chats far better than we are able to do today. Now, what does that mean? That means that the minute there is a chat that comes in or a call that comes in, within the first few seconds, we'll be able to accurately determine whether the call needs to be handled by a human being or whether it needs good, it can be done by a chatbot or an, or an intelligent agent. And then it will be able to lead them through accurately so that 
the customer doesn't feel frustrated and, and you know, tries to get a diversion back to a human agent. So that I would imagine would be about 35 to 40% of the incoming traffic flow. Now, you know this as well as you do. In fact, you know it better. If you're able to take that kind of a load, then the remaining, you know, the remainder of the remainder of the contact center workflows and the um, the staff can be can now become more proactively engaged in activities that are more productive. So rather than just you know answering calls with routine updating of address or routine updating of details or just you know mailing out some you know standard uh, documentation, they can actually focus on value-added activities where they are either cross-selling, upselling, or even just, you know, act contributing more to the customer's um, financial welfare or, you know, uh, welfare than otherwise. So that is what I would see will happen. It will never be all these algorithms will replace contact center workers entirely. What will happen is the contact center workers will then be free to do significantly higher value-added work. They won't be sitting there updating details. They'll be doing more higher value-added more high-touch work than they are able to do currently. I think we've covered this in some previous episodes beforehand where this will probably actually um, lead to the evolution of a different type of agent uh, with different kind of EQ skills, somebody who's actually to gain more empathy with the customer and uh, have more of that kind of caring human touch than just being a, a process-driven person. Do you think that's the case? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that we are going to see... This is going to have this whole thing in the next few years is going to have a very beneficial impact. First, in terms of what the CFOs would demand, which is in terms of productivity, cost savings, etc. But more importantly, in terms of employee well-being, particularly in the call centers, they wouldn't have to put up with the the kind of abuse and kind of you know customer wrath that they face. Um, particularly now that many of them are going to be working permanently from home, they wouldn't be facing these things. They would be actually you know working more towards improving the welfare of the customer for whatever service they are providing. So I think that that is where, uh, you know, we will see agents, uh, you know, taking the lead. Now, Sri, we talked earlier on about some of your damning commentary, but you've also highlighted uh, over time some key organisations that are having success with uh, automation technologies. Do you think you could perhaps uh, summarise some of these use cases and uh, highlight why you think they are great examples? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, the, I mean, the context centre optimization work that we are looking at now uh, that using um, intelligent algorithms and you know uh, machine learning and deep learning algorithms and, and and helping the intelligent process automation, that's you know that's a standard kind of piece of work that we are looking at across multiple industries. We're working with that with uh, telco clients on that. We're working with insurance clients. Similarly, we're seeing a lot of work around deploying AI, machine learning, and deep learning algorithms around uh, fraud, particularly fraud rings. So you know. Often, um, you know, fraud is not a very simple activity involving one or two people. Often it involves a ring on the same kind of patterns repeat. Rings involving, say, solicitors or GPs or, you know, dealers and whatever else. So it's the identifying those fraud rings and proactively screening them off. So that's another very interesting application that we are seeing. The third one we are seeing um, in the industry is around smart reporting. So... This is less so in, in contact centers, but more so in the background in the financial and in the CFO world. We are seeing more and more reporting, not just historical reporting, but becoming far more predictive and more importantly, in being able to identify anomalies. So in a large mass of data, say sales data, whatever that comes through, 
being able to identify anomalies very quickly and trying to figure out why those anomalies are happening, uh, that's becoming very valuable. So smart reporting, as we call it, is being enabled by machine learning and, and deep learning algorithms. So that's another big area where we're doing a, a enormous amount of work uh, around this. And also what we used to historically talk about is as um, hyper-personalization, it was a term that was bandied around. I'm sure you remember, Martin, probably about five or six years ago, people used to talk about hyper-personalization, segment of one, this, that, and all that. It just went out of favor. You know, uh, that has actually come back in a big way in uh, helping um, organizations with the customer journey because now we have the algorithms, now we have the ability to try and personalize conversations with customers. So that's another area where we're working with organizations trying to stitch the entire customer journey. I mean, I'll give you a simple example. For one of the telco clients, we are working with uh, activations. I mean, you would think activations is a very simple activity. It's not. It's about 20 different systems that, you know, have to be involved in just getting a customer's mobile phone or a broadband connection activated because there are a number of parties involved. So we are using smart data to actually try and stitch together that entire journey so that over a period of time, we have the client has a much better idea of what is happening in the activation workflow, where the delays are, where customer NPS stores are being affected, and how they can improve. So you know, those sort of things, customer journeys are being redefined by uh, machine learning and deep learning algorithms. And the most important bit I would highlight is in every case, we are using probably 90% of the data that we're using is data that already resided in the organization, but nobody had the time to look at it, or just didn't, are not, we're not able to look at it the way we're able to look at it with these um, technologies and algorithms. So that is the important thing. So yeah, those are the kind of uh, applications we're seeing, and it's going to keep growing. So given the new normal that we're now all faced with, uh, you obviously think there's uh, an even greater opportunity for organizations to utilize some of these advanced technologies. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you, I mean, for example, I mean, eventually at least 30%, if not more, of employees of a company, whether it's a financial institution or a telco um, or, or whatever, they're going to be working from home. Now, as of now, people haven't really understood the implications, but just think about the fraud implications around that. You, I mean, you, have, you don't have the ability to monitor your employees as much when they're working from home, as you do when they are in a specific centralized facility like a CBD office. So it has to be done in a much less intrusive way, but much more smarter way. Now that's where we're seeing increasingly people trying to explore deployment of AI so that they can monitor employee performance, employees breaching guidelines, employees you know, doing things that should not be doing non-compliance with you know processes non-compliance with guidelines much more effectively than just you know at least to the same level of eff effectiveness as they were if they were in the office so we, that's another huge growing area which will happen over the next uh, you know few years it's true it's been great to hear your thoughts on automation um, but as is traditional for this podcast let's now see if we can find out a little bit more about you as a person is there a particular piece of music or a performer that puts you in a calm and happy place amidst some of the sadness we continue to witness? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think one of the things, I mean, I, I think we even discussed this before. One of the things I have always done is um, 
You know, I repost, uh, I've always devoted a significant amount of my time and repost a lot of faith in meditation. So particularly the, the ancient Vedic chants uh, from, from the country I come, India, uh, the number of Vedic chants uh, and what this, um, you know, and they all, many of them date back uh, to say 2000 or 3000 BC. So that's roughly about 5000 to probably six or 7000 years uh, from where we are today. And what I have been able to do is uh, devote significant more, significantly more time to practicing those Vedic chants and listening to them because I don't have to do the one hour commute to office each way anymore. So that two hours or so uh, every day, I've been able to devote to things like meditation, things like understanding the meaning behind the chants, practicing the chants myself, listening to them. So those are all the things uh, that I've been doing and that have that has put me in a fairly you know, balanced and, and restored a sense of balance to me. And how about a book, a film or a TV show? Is there any one title that's keeping you entertained at the moment? Oh, absolutely. I'm... Uh, my favorite author has always been George Bernard Shaw. So, you know, I've, I've been uh, reading any number of his works. I mean, Bernard Shaw is the famous Irish playwright, as you know. And um, I've been reading any number of his uh, works of late. In fact, I'm just um, reading a very interesting work called Man and Superman by, um, by Bernard Shaw. And uh, it's absolutely hilarious. Commentaries that he makes about the political system, and this is you know, probably about you know, um, 200 or 150 years ago, 250 years ago, those commentary, commentaries are relevant to this very day. And of course, he has the same amazing man, uh, you know, Irish sense of humor underlying all of this. So, yes, I've been reading a lot of Bernard Shaw over the um, last few months, which has been uh, keeping me uh, hilariously occupied. To go from Indian meditation uh, to Irish philosophy, I think is quite a, quite a stretch lead there. That's uh, putting all, all sorts of uh, images into my head there. Uh, finally, how about a material object or a gadget that makes you happy? Something you just couldn't be without at the moment. Well, at this point in time, uh, I think it has to be my, uh, my trusted um, laptop. I've never realized how useful this laptop can be. I mean, I just thought, I mean, uh, I, whether it is, uh, you know, engaging with my friends and family, my family spread all over the world, including in India, or whether it is, uh, you know, having conversations like this with yourselves uh, or otherwise. I mean, my laptop has become pretty much my second self. So, yes, I mean, at this point in time, it, I would have to say it's my laptop, which is the one gadget that um, I don't think I can live without. Hey, Sri Anishwami, founder of Shwami and Associates, thank you so much for joining us today on the Baron Podcast. It's been great chatting with you and getting your thoughts on, on some of these advanced automation technologies. I wish you, your loved ones and your colleagues all the very best for a safe and happy future. Thank you once again. Thanks, Martin. Thanks for the opportunity. Look forward. Thank you. Bye.